0: There is so much out there to get mad about. Social injustices, class warfare, continued colonization, the active destruction of our planet by those focused on profits and not people. We can find it overwhelming at times. The good news is there are equally as many, if not more, stories of people coming together and rising up against the forces at play. So the creators of Blueprints of Disruption have added a new weekly segment, Ravel Rants, where we will unpack the stories that have us most riled up, share calls to action, and most importantly, celebrate resistance. Okay, well, you'd have to be living under a rock to have not noticed the protests and counter protests that happened on Wednesday, September 20th. That was last week. The protesters called themselves the One Million March for Children. You'll notice they misspelled the hashtag that ended up trending. I thought that was pretty ironic. Either way, this is a group that's trying to cloak their bigotry in diversity. Unfortunately, to look at the cross-section of people that showed up to essentially erase the LGBTQ community. It looked like a cross-section of Canada. All sorts of people seem to be wrapped up in this. They're screaming about parental rights, but at the heart of it is nothing but bigotry. It was tough to watch some of the videos and see some of the signage, especially. I was stuck at home sick last week, so I saw this unfold through social media. And for a group of people that say they're trying to protect children, they sure used a lot of kids as pawns during these protests. If you look at some of the demands that the group is making, and I know they kind of gather up all kinds of stragglers around that are kind of hitched onto this faux moral panic, but the calls for them themselves are all really things you're seeing in the United States that perhaps you thought we wouldn't see here like the actual erasure of teaching LGBTQ issues in school, banning the use of pronouns, making sure people are using the washroom that they were assigned to at birth, essentially ignoring people's self-identification as being trans. And so they showed up at school boards across Canada in big cities and in small towns. The good news is, for the most part, they were met by massive numbers of resistance. We talk a lot about on this show for the need of social movements and labor to work together towards a single end, and I thought that was the best part of Wednesday and the days leading up to the day, the March, the march for Hate, I think is what we've labeled it because essentially that's what it is. But I think for the first time we really did see a very rapid coalescing on a specific need, a moment of physical resistance that was needed and unions and various social movements and, you know, political entities all got together and showed their faces and actually put their bodies on the line in some circumstances. That is that is a very positive to draw from this because we need a positive coming out of that.
1: Yeah, I think that the, the response was great. A lot of people came out in defense and it's exactly what we need to do every time something like this happens. What scares me is that this is not the end of something by any means this is an escalation which is the most predictable escalation in the world which is exactly what we've been saying what people from the queer community have been saying for a long time now which is you know these these points that they argue stuff like you know parental rights it's it's not single issues it's connected to a larger desire of erasure of um, not just the trans community but in a longer term the queer community as well and that's what we're starting to see here because you could see in these protests that they weren't just anti-trans and they weren't like saying hey parental rights and it wasn't about protecting the kids because you know How are kids getting rocks thrown at them if it's about protecting the kids, you know? This is the start and unfortunately it's likely going to get worse as long as we have a right wing in this country that continues to push these narratives. And what's scary for me is that like I'm also seeing, you know, like uh, people around my age, I'm starting to see people fall for this rhetoric as well. You know, like there's, I know someone who has always been supposedly uh, very supportive of the queer community and the trans community, but um, who is now fallen for the whole parental rights line hook line and sinker, right? Like, I, I he he had shared something on on an Instagram story, and people got rightfully pissed off at it, and I. I I went to talk to him and he was he said along the lines of something along the lines of you know like I've always been supportive yada yada yada, but can they just leave the kids out of it, right? And that's that's what you're starting to hear.
0: I think there's a lot of misinformation that goes along with that because I've campaigned door to door federally. And, but people don't understand jurisdiction, and they just talk about whatever they're upset about. And even during a federal election, you wouldn't believe how many people wanted to talk about their children being shown graphic sexual acts or being taught about blowjobs, for example, in grade three. They have no understanding of what the curriculum actually is. They think they do, and they immediately react with fear. And at the heart of this, obviously, is still a bigotry towards LGBTQ issues, because if anybody fully understood, it's like they're also making the assumption their kids are straight. We're so heteronormative in our behaviors that these parents are worried about schools putting influence on their children, right? Which is not the case. It's just a matter of being a safe space. But even in that safe space, they think they have some sort of right to know if their kid isn't cisgender or isn't straight. But why are they making the assumption that they are? For me, that is that is so problematic. But yeah, we saw children walking around these marches with signs that say, I belong to my parents, and like you said, Santiago, that opens up such a slippery slope. It's not even just about LGBTQ issues at this that point. You know, you're talking about no autonomy for children. Behavioral therapy comes to mind for autistic kids. All sorts of other slew of problems open up when you completely take away the rights of children and transfer them onto some parents, good parents or bad parents. But like the convoy, too, One of the things that was really scary is you're seeing people flying Nazi flags, Mm -hmm. feeling safe enough to fly Nazi flags. They're hung up there on monuments in that one shot, along with indigenous flags and pride flags. And because we can't forget, like I said, like it really is a cross section. And I think that must be so there's even folks within the queer community that want to take the the T out of the LGBTQ, that are anti-trans. That has got to be the most upsetting thing to see your neighbors, to see people that you thought knew better, to feel so much resistance to who you are. Like, children are seeing this. One person chimed in on on Twitter and they had a a young teen that was non-binary that they would have loved to bring to the counter protest but kept them home out of the fear they would see their fellow students on the other side of that line screaming for their erasure or maybe a teacher or or I don't know you know like and they would never feel safe in that space again now instead they go to the school they don't know who was taken out of school to march against them but They feel this. They feel this hatred and the level of unsafeness that exists. And that misinformation I was talking about earlier, I should have mentioned this. There was a school out near Winnipeg and a rumor went around that sexually explicit material was going to be handed out to students the next day. This was incorrect. It was just a rumor. Parents got a whiff of it, and 1,000 kids were kept home the next day. So this kind of fear and need for control that parents have over children and and sexual rights and gender identities and autonomy is very troubling. And it's no wonder fucking kids struggle, man. If this is what's going on. Can you imagine being part of this push and pull?
1: No, and it's, it's so like, just like, I, I, we talked about this recently on a recent episode, but it's just so disheartening to see how far things are slipping back. And I, I just, I really feel for anyone who is right now, like a, a teenager going through this, trying to, make sense of this rise in hatred like that's just really fucked up like the to, fe- to have to feel that it- it's just such a fucking like this is we-, we talked about this multiple times but just the moral panic of it all it's such a manipulation and it's just so frustrating that like they're, they're targeting people who have always historically been vulnerable in society at least in modern society and that's who their targets are with this, this information and this intentional fear-mongering. And it's it's just not fair. And I'm sorry, I, I don't really have a larger argument here because I feel like it's all been said and I feel like a lot of people are making really great arguments out there that like I can't think of right now, but well, I'm just frustrated.
0: I think it's important to note that this wasn't just confined to Wednesday either. Now you've got two provinces, well, three, that are really pushing back against proposed legislation, legislation that's either happened that's really anti-trans in terms of schools. We've talked about it on our show before, outing students and their change of pronouns or first names in school. And so you've got those fights going on. But it's not just that. In Hamilton, there was a Take Back the Night event. And that was met with real right-wing resistance resulting in violence. Cops out there are looking at possible hate crime charges. And on Friday, the following Friday, out in Toronto, in a school in North York, for a long time, there had been planned anti-trans protests outside of Victoria Park Collegiate. So counter-protesters obviously were prepared and showed up. They formed a physical line, a barrier, using umbrellas and flags and signs and tried to protect the students from seeing this display of hatred and what the other side looked like. The most awful signs you can think of. Red hats. They say Save Canada. They're not exactly MAGA hats, but they're all wearing red hats, have their backpacks on, and they are physically pushing against the the line, the protective line that's been formed. And one of my and I understand that I've I've heard from some people who were holding that line and how difficult that was emotionally. But I do find some joy in watching one of those videos where those fucking red-hatted assholes are turned towards the cops pleading with them to come over waving for them to come over and the cop just rolls by and uh they were using that on social media as proof that the police had abandoned them we also saw them on wednesday get kettled by counter-protesters on Parliament Hill. And so they're on their Instagram Lives going, we don't know how we're going to march. They've blocked off all our routes." And for once, it was nice to see the tactics being used against our enemy and watching them squirm. I might not be the better person for that, but, I mean, it was hard to find really shining moments. Another one, obviously, is Fred Hahn. We, We can't undersell this enough. It was so important that the unions came out. First of all, they have got workers inside those buildings. Second, they have a moral duty to be on the lines here. We have been saying that for a long, long time. And and not all unions are created equal, but a lot of them were there. And there's a really great video of Fred Hahn holding the line at this school that I'm talking about. And a right wing a wannabe journalist gets in his face and asks if it's true if Kewpie stands with Antifa. Did you hear what his answer was?
1: Oh, man, that was so funny to hear because the just the fact that this journalist thought that he had like a, a got you moment from it. Like he thought that he would come out looking better because he was the one who shared it. Like he was he shared it himself on his social media. But how did, how did he say it? I forget how did he's Fred like, Hans you say- know, I'm
0: so confused. People keep asking me that. Are you pro fascist? Are you <laughs> pro fascist? Like, is that what you're telling me? And the guy gives the same old line that you hear over and over again. that Antifa isn't just anti fascist. It's some dark, militant, highly organized entity. Uh which is absolutely hilarious if they only understood like if they could only just be in our brains for five minutes they would just be so absolutely embarrassed at how they come across when they go on about antifa um it's (laughs) i don't know how we don't all giggle at this but yeah so this deep dark organization has shook hands with fred hahn to get unions on the front lines. And even there's one guy who's like, I'm going to do an in-depth analysis, an investigative report on how unions and the LGBT community and social movements and Antifa are all working together like it's some conspiracy and not exactly how it's designed to be. And, and I just thought, are we finally working together? Oh, my God. Like the little diagram the guy had was just like joy to me. He thought it looked really scary to them. But for me, that was pure joy watching everyone understand that they needed to be there in that moment. All those critics of identity politics were were thankfully silent that week. I think they understood, you know, it's when the unions kind of showed up that it really demonstrated that it is a working class issue. And again, when I say working class, I mean the 99 percent, not quite literally people who go to work and sell their labor. We do have to find a better term for that. But it did become a working class issue to, to show a strength. And I think in a lot of cities we absolutely did. But we were outnumbered in many, many small towns. And so those images of victory and that smugness that came across from people who maybe experienced Ottawa or Toronto, That wasn't the same feeling coming out of places like Oshawa and Kitchener, who were outnumbered and wondering where their comrades were and why so many people mobilized for hate in a time where we're struggling to pay our bills. And folks have focused on trans people as some sort of issue to tackle. And I think it's important to remind folks of history that we've obviously quickly forgotten, that trans people and disabled people were one of the first people Nazis came out against. That poem that we often cite to one another as reminders to stick up for each other, not because you have a vested interest, but because it's the right thing to do and and you'll likely be next. Um, Trans people and trans literature and art and research... All of that was destroyed by the Nazis in one of the first things that they did in terms of book burning. And so, rightfully so, people are calling this fascism. And, you know, it doesn't help that actual Nazis show up and fly their flags. So I'm troubled by those ordinary parents who are coming going with legitimate concerns. I'm using scare quotes for all of this. And, and still, like the convoy, are willingly marching against people who have much more radical viewpoints in terms of quite little erasure.
1: Let me ask you something, Jessa. In all of uh, your time at a variety of protests that you have attended, has anyone ever shown up on your side with a Nazi flag? Even once?
0: No. No, people need to understand that person would be beat down. That that would not stand for two seconds.
1: So... I say that because it's like if you like I don't care if it's one or five or 50 because it'll eventually get to 50 and it'll get it'll keep growing. But the day you have somebody show up to something that you're supporting with a Nazi flag, if you're not ask, if you're somebody who like claims to appall fascism, and you see something like that, and you don't start asking yourself, "Wait a minute, am I on the right side here?" Then you're a part of the problem. And I know that not every... like some it's people just don't been care. happening more. Yeah, no, I know a lot. Of, I know a lot of them don't care, and a lot of them are actually fascist. But I know that that'll speak to some people. I know to some people, the idea that a Nazi's on their side, has to be appalling, and people have to start realizing because. Like, for example, the person I was talking about earlier, the young person uh, who's a peer of mine, you know, they're incredibly anti-fascist. They like their family from Italy is incredibly anti-fascist. Yet here you are on the side of fascists. You know what I'm saying? It's that's the thing is that at some point there's. There's too many people who are a part of this, who are drinking the Kool-Aid, who are falling for the moral panic, who need to wake the fuck up to who's on their side, because the people who are ideologically leading this are fascists. It's not people who are motivated by altruistic motives and who genuinely care about harm coming about individuals. They don't care about the children. They don't care about any they don't care about any of the things they say they care about. They're just trying to find ways to rile people up because they want to eliminate queer people, trans people. They want to erase them from visibility. And eventually perhaps more.
0: Well, absolutely, because in those same threads that you read is real anti-communist shit too. And it's not to just say we do this because they would come for us next, right? Come for socialists next. But that's quite literally the blueprint. And it's the same folks that were anti-vax, anti-mask, anti-refugee, right? The same people vo- marching against Roxham Road, same people calling people illegal. These are all all the same organizations and the same ideologies. And these are litmus tests. And so it's so important that the resistance that they faced was, was great because there, you would think after the convoy and, and a bunch of people who seemed to be legitimately concerned about vaccine mandates teamed up with whoever they needed to, that they wouldn't have made that mistake again, right? That the demonization that occurred there was enough, but alas, it wasn't. And I'm seeing in the next story that we're going to talk about, I'm seeing that same kind of apologist shit or talk of how not all bad people team up with Nazis. Some do it by necessity and we need to be a little more nuanced about it. And there's no denying the connections between those. Um, so also, in case you missed it, everybody in the House of Commons stood up and applauded an actual
1: Nazi veteran. What do you mean, everybody? You mean everybody, everybody?
0: Oh, I mean everybody. Not one
1: person who
0: heard Speaker Anthony Roda stand up and call this man, Yaroslav Hunka a hero for fighting against the Soviets in World War 2 I'll give anybody who needs it a moment to Google who fought the Soviet Union in World War II. Okay? Because the fact that our entire House of Commons was either completely unaware that only Nazi... Germany fought the Russians in World War II and that a Ukrainian veteran being introduced as such would certainly have been in a Nazi unit.
1: Um, Yeah, no, somebody, somebody knew for sure the appropriate history to have been able to figure this out instantly and that somebody occupies... Not a minor role in in the current government, and it's not the first time that this person has found themselves accidentally or on purpose on the side of Nazis. I think I know who you're talking. You're talking about my bestie,
0: Christian Freeland. Yeah,
1: Deputy Prime Minister Christian Christia Freeland, Freeland. Yeah.
0: So for folks who don't know. We are all—it's a pretty open secret that Christian Freeland's grandfather was a Nazi collaborator. He worked on propaganda. She hasn't really apologized for her history there. She's spoken quite fondly of her grandfather. On top of that, she has a degree in—degrees in Russian history— And Slavonic studies. So, yes, surely the woman you see standing behind Trudeau and Zelensky as they applaud, she absolutely knew this man was in a voluntary SS unit that had been that has been accused of killing Polish and Jewish Jewish civilians. This wasn't just some united fight against Stalin, which is really pissing me off. There are so many liberals on fucking Twitter that are going at saying this. You got to understand the threat was Stalin to Ukrainians, and so that's why they joined it. They're using the same garbage excuse that these assholes are using in the Million March to to join forces with whoever they need to against the threat that they're calling from the co- the queer community. All of a sudden, we're justifying it as this fight on communism, which is in itself so dangerous. Obviously, as a socialist, it makes me so angry when I hear this red-baiting because it's had an impact on my life and on many, many people's lives, but it silences us. It works to silence us and our ideas, which work to combat capitalism. And so I know a lot of the apologies that went floating around from especially progressives who were caught applauding a Nazi, apologizing to the Jewish community. But this isn't just a Jewish issue. This is this wasn't just anti-Semitism. What this is, is anti-Russian propaganda. This is under the, the current Putin regime on what he's doing in Ukraine. There is no room to question this. There was no, everyone knew how uncomfortable it would be if you didn't stand up and applaud the Ukrainian veteran at this point.
1: And like, no, because like, what the hell does this 98 year old have to do with the modern day struggle against Russia? Like, it's two completely unrelated things. I mean, first of all, the Soviet Union is not Russia just just first for first, first off the bat it was a completely different struggle and to be clear this person was from galicia i don't know if i'm pronouncing the region correctly um so the the unit that he was with was uh, the the hold on what was it called again? the it's the 14th waffen ss unit the 14th waffen ss unit of galicia or something like that is what it was called and and has been accused of committing war crimes and, and attempting to ethnically cleanse the Polish people from that region of Galicia, which is a region that occupies both Poland and Ukraine. Right, so this is, it's not just a Nazi, it's a literal SS Nazi, where this—the the formation of this unit was sanctioned by Heinrich Himmler, I'm not pronouncing his name right either, who was the architect of the Holocaust. And who, there are quotes of him saying that he would, tr- he trusts that this unit would happily ethnically cle- cleanse the dirty people of Poland from that region or something, is how, is how he put it. So ha- this is the guy who was the architect of the Holocaust. I mean, bad as it gets, you know, and there are pictures of him with this unit. I mean this isn't just like some battle against russia kind of thing this this was deeply deeply hate motivated deeply connected to the worst parts of the nazi regime there is nowhere to fucking hide here this is as bad as it gets and nobody fucking realized are you kidding me like b- because i was i i saw this story breaking kind of like as it was starting to break i was following along. And I, you know, I saw that, like, they they were applauding this person and and people weren't angry about it yet when I first heard about this. And immediately the red flags start to go off in my mind of like, wait, fought against the Russians. okay. then I see that the Associated Press confirmed what unit he was in. And immediately it was like, okay, yeah, no, like anybody should have seen this coming.
0: Oh, and the backpedaling's been unreal. Right. So first you get the oh, well, you know, working class people are often caught up in wars that they don't want to be in, you know, by necessity. And then, boom, a quick Google search reveals the guy's memoir. He was ready and rearing to go. Not an apology. Like he has not redeemed himself whatsoever. This is someone who's still proud of their involvement with the Nazis. And he met with the Prime Minister. Now they're trying to backpedal on that, but there's a photo of him waiting in the Prime Minister's office for a one on one before he goes into the gallery and becomes a place of honor. Don't fucking tell me that the speaker sprung this on Justin Trudeau and his people that he wasn't vetted. A lot of people are trying to like, really pretend this is a mistake. You just watched Justin's video where he's blaming Russian misinformation. On what? On what the this unit actually did? Is he trying to rewrite history? Because I feel like that's what it is. We're trying to peg. I, I know Russia and the USSR are different entities, but that's not how we're selling this. People who've read 1984, they have seen this play out where we frame someone, our current enemy. is has always been our enemy and everything is written around that. You say that they're not related, you know, having a 98-year-old veteran up there. Absolutely it is. Absolutely it is. He's there to justify the $650 million that we just pledged to Ukraine over the next three years. $650 million. This is on top of $500 million that we already gave them for weapons. This is just for fucking death machines, okay? In total, Canada has given them 9.5% billion dollars in multifaceted assistance since January 2022. And so like we will get with Remembrance Day and the air show, they got to parade veterans in, in their dapper outfits, telling these stories. We applaud them like clapping seals. We aren't allowed to question that at all. And all of it, all of it is to justify war, right? Because this is one breath away from those Announcements of aid, new sanctions on Russia, free trade agreement with Ukraine. They parade Zelensky in there. He speaks. Everyone has tears in their eyes. They are using Nazis to get whatever they want, too, in the House of Commons, on their battlefields. But when we say this, all of a sudden we're pro-Putin. You can't be either or. There is no gray area. And all of this is about drawing that line. You are either with Russia or you're against
1: Russia. And there is no nuance at all. Let me be clear about something, because this I remember this story before the war with Ukraine and Russia ever started. This is not the first time that Canada has had this issue. Um, Jess, I just sent you a link in the chat here if you want to check it out. It's an article from 2018 uh, talking about the Canadian government's defense of this specific, uh, the first Galatian uh, Ukrainian division of the SS. And the fact that we have a monument to them
0: in in Canada.
1: In Oakville. To this specific... um, division and there have been times when um former veterans such as this 98 year old have shown up and and they were uh, to this uh, to take pictures and for ceremonies and stuff followed by young people wear, like, such as in this article there's a picture of a young person wearing um uh, a uh, white pride shirt and by white pride it says the shirt literally says white pride worldwide and has a fascist symbol on it beside a former member of that division this was in 2018 and i remember the criticisms of this in 2018 there have been criticisms of canada's comfiness with uh n- literal nazis from ukraine for a very long time and we knew about canada's support of not na- literal nazis today in the military of ukraine and that we were training them and that was something that i remember people talking about before the war ever began this is not some fucking niche issue like this is a this is a pattern a continued pattern and Christia freeland just because there was one thing i i, I we haven't mentioned like she has posed multiple times With flags of the Ukrainian insurgent army, you might recognize it. It's a red and black flag, but not the cool anarchist one. More like the uh, ethnic cleansing red and black, who were guilty of, once again, ethnically cleansing Polish people from Galatia. And Jews. And Jews. Fuck, I forgot about that. Um, Yeah. So, pretty fucking bad. And like we said, Chrystia Freeland has all her history degrees and knowledge and all the reason to know what the fuck that flag is because like i said it's not a niche flag and she has posed with it on multiple occasions what is this what is this comfiness what is going on here like
0: yeah if you juxtapose that to the fact that we are building a huge monument to all the people who communism killed And if you read articles on that, I'll link a few. They've acknowledged that the funding for that, they have not vetted at all. And they absolutely do know that real right-wing neo-Nazi white Christian nationalists have been donating to this. This is an ideological war that we have been fighting for a really long time. And people have rightfully made the acknowledgement that Canada has a really ugly fascist history. At the same time, what the fuck are those Nazis doing here? So at the same time that we restrict migration on all of these bases, we let in tons of Nazis just after the war, near the end of the war. And this is just around the time that we were rejecting boatloads of Jewish refugees. This is a country that itself committed genocide and, and probably the model for indigenous genocide was essentially inspiring the final solution. And so, for us to we gasp were and original clutch our Nazis pearls, before
1: the Nazis that,
0: there's an argument to be made there that absolutely we are a real fascist white Christian nationalist nation. And this is part of our reckoning. People act surprised. The liberals are, I'm just laughing at them trying to defend this online at the same time being so enraged that they feel this comfortable not completely distancing themselves from this. But I'm also really disappointed in the NDP. And I know I always am, but I mean, all of them.
1: They should have known better.
0: Absolutely, absolutely. Right before Zelensky met, a bunch of NDP MPs post for a social media photo around a Ukrainian flag, and they were just joyous. They were just joyous to donate $650 million in war machines that would kill Russian soldiers. And I'm not a Russian apologist, but just funding the hell out of one side of a, a, a conflict is not a solution for peace. And they're so wrapped up in this that they get there and somebody points to someone Ukrainian, even though they say the words they fought the Soviet Union from the other side. They all stood up and clapped and were probably so stoked about that photo op.
1: Mm-hmm. Let me be clear about something. Just I want to nip the whole are we Russian apologists thing right in the bud real quick. Right. F- Fuck Putin. <laughs> and I am no supporter of Russia. Jess is no supporter of Russia. Um, we just spent the first half of this episode defending who? We're talking about the rights of the queer community and the trans community. Two communities that are constantly oppressed in Russia. Russia is not a... The Russian regime is not a good country. It's not a, a, a country that respects different peoples. It is a oppressive... Um, nation uh, an imperialist nation just like canada is just like the u.s is fuck all of them what we are is anti-fascist and we are anti-fascist consistently every single time and there is a fascist issue here at play the, the these are literal fascists and we will not side with fascists because it's convenient so just want to address that real quick because that's always the way that they try and paint this narrative like you're on one side or the other no actually we're on the side of the working class we're on the side of the people we don't need to be on the side of any nation nations are almost exclusively oppressive
0: and all of those billions that we donated all they're going to do is hurt working class people either literally on the battlefields or economically through any kind of free trade agreements that we're signing. We don't do things out of charity. It's all for gain in the end. And, yeah, it's just the lack of accountability that politicians are taking on this. I wanted one person to step up and say, I unquestionably just stood up and clapped, that I am wrapped up in what's expected of me, public facing me, that I didn't take time to question and that that happens in politics way too often, right, where you you don't even care who you're posing with because you just want that community photo out there because it'll look good on your social media page because it made a voter happy. But your principles take a step back and that happens on big ticket items, too, not just photo ops where we just swallow things, particularly when they're associated with war. There is never any room. When we talk about housing, when we talk about healthcare, education, migration, there's room for discussion. There's room for debate amongst progressives, between the left and the right. But the coalescing around war that happens is so inherently dangerous to democracy and free thought that... You can't believe you're living in a 1984 Orwellian nightmare. I read 1984 when I was really, really young. It it seemed so absurd. It seemed so absurd that people would allow themselves to to believe ever-changing histories. For folks who haven't read it, you know, there was a department tasked with literally rewriting the headlines from, from history's past, rewriting books, erasing books so that the current narrative always fit the historical narrative. Sorry. So the historical narrative would always fit the current needs of whatever regime was there. And like robots, they just swallowed it. And that's really what we saw unfolding in real time in in the legislature was Russia, bad. Yeah, always been bad. Yeah. And everyone stood up like— and they look even emotional about it. They're caught up in this fervor. And there's no critical thought going on at this point.
1: And did you see the face of <laughs> the face of the Nazi in question, by the way? Like his reaction to it. Like that's one thing that's like seared in my mind is this guy like soaking in the applause. Like it's he knew exactly what that was. And surely
0: was. Zelensky knew, and he's pumping his fist. And this surely doesn't play well into the Russian narrative that they're trying to denazify the country, right? That's a lot of the justification that Putin is using for his incursion and for his invasion of Ukraine is that he's trying to get the Nazis out of there. And then we bring Zelensky over and quite literally parade a Nazi up for everybody to applaud So like, no doubt there was apologies needed for the Jewish community, because I can only imagine them watching this now, knowing who this man is, receiving applause. I mean, it's top of the BBC as well, that Canada gave a standing ovation to a Nazi veteran. But it would be a shame to allow the liberals to—I mean, dismissing it as Russian misinformation is not going to fly— But even for them to dismiss it as some really fluky mistake and not an indication that we are not allowed to question where those weapons are going or how they're being used. And, you know, you have Ukrainians openly talking about death squads and assassinations and using war crime tactics as well. And we're supposed to be celebrating this. So. Again, we're getting up to to November and Remembrance Day when we're going to see a lot of the same stuff paraded in front of us and unquestionably celebrating soldiers as though fighting in a war is something that we should celebrate. And that being particularly inept in killing enemy soldiers is a reason to elevate somebody over one another. We have to really sit uncomfortably in that.
1: All right. Um before we wrap up this episode, um, there's something I, I wanted to share a story, um, of something that, uh, I witnessed this week that really, really infuriated me. Um, now we know international students have been in the headlines lately a lot. And has been conversations about the, um, the treatment of international students, the, uh, how they're funding uh, Ontario colleges more than the Doug Ford government is funding Ontario colleges. And the very week that I was, you know, writing an an editorial advocating in in the favor of status for All, uh, something happened at Humber College. Um, I have a a friend who is an international student from, from Punjab in India. And over the last weekend, um, when he was at home, he, he got injured, uh, plate shattered on his arm, and he was bleeding, and he had to go to the hospital. And when he got to the hospital, they told him that before he would be able to see a doctor, uh, he'd have to provide insurance. He's sitting there, losing blood, lightheaded, trying to get his insurance information out, but the it wasn't coming up, so they told him, that he has to call his insurance. So he calls his insurance, and they inform him that he doesn't have coverage because the college, which is legally obligated to provide insurance for all international students on day one, had not sent the names of the international students to the insurance, and therefore he did not have coverage. The hospital then told them that if he wanted to see a doctor that day, he would have to pay $850 to be able to do so. And he could get it reimbursed by his insurance on a later date. But how many of us have $850 lying around that we can use at a moment's notice? I'll tell you, I know that. Not international
0: students, that's for sure. No.
1: And, and over 50% of Canadians can't afford a $200 emergency. So he didn't have that money. So instead, he had to go home while he's bleeding. His cousin did a makeshift dressing. He went to a clinic the next day that treated him for $100. And a few days later, got an email from the college saying that he finally has insurance. So he was sitting there bleeding in the hospital, and he was denied the coverage that he's entitled to.
0: Humber has a lot of international students. Are you telling me, like, for the first three weeks, none of them had any kind of health coverage?
1: Humber College North Campus, which is our campus, has the most international students of any campus of any college in Ontario.
0: Now, you got to wonder, is this a clerical error? Is this systemic? Are they trying to save a month on insurance, see if nobody notices? I mean, how do you leave that many students uninsured and with no recourse? And what's up with the hospital?
1: Yeah. No, I mean, the hospital should have fucking seen him. You have somebody here bleeding. You see the person when they're bleeding. You don't tell them to go home because they don't have the money. That is not... That is not what we fucking believe. That's not how we treat people. I mean, it is how we treat people, but it shouldn't be how we treat people. And I honestly don't care if it was a clerical error or what it was. For me, what it represents is the approach of the colleges, Humber College in particular, when it comes to international students, where they feel entitled to them. They're a commodity to them they're treating them like objects i don't care how this happened i it happening is unacceptable for not even treating
0: them like consumers you know like sometimes you have like consumer rights where i paid for this like i paid to go to school you guys should give me a level of service it's you're right it's like that that sense of entitlement and knowing these folks are kind of in exploitive situations. And so they're probably their least, their lowest priority.
1: To quote, to quote my article, the commodification of international students is nothing short of exploitation and the result of a system that treats education more like a business than as the foundational block of any dignified society. Because that's what our education is. It's a fucking business.
0: But even a good business makes sure that they deliver what's promised, right? Like these are folks that they know they have a captive audience, that they're stuck there the next semester, that they don't have to worry about them shopping around to another college, right? They're not even treated like good consumer, like as a decent consumer.
1: It's. It- I, I want to I read some lines from his article on it. You can check it out on Humber News. My left hand was drenched in blood while I was scrolling through my laptop screen with my right hand to download my health insurance, but the website told me my health insurance was not there. Having lived here as an international student for two years, this was my, the first time I had a serious injury. I was taken to the emergency ward of the hospital because I was losing blood. While waiting for my turn, I called the insurance company about my health insurance card not being available. It's because your college hasn't sent the list of currently enrolled students. I was shocked because I'd always heard that international students are covered by the college. Indeed, international students are supposed to be covered from the first day of school. And he ends this off with, I wonder how Humber could be so careless when it's about the safety of international students. Even after paying full tuition, which is four times the tuition paid by domestic students, we have to struggle with basic health insurance coverage. I needed Humber in a crisis and it let me down
0: it did and i would argue that the health system as well let them down these hospitals surely have a contingency fund set aside for when they have to treat patients without insurance there's no need to hold somebody up like that this to treat the healthcare system like a business as well as the education system is such one of our biggest downfalls You know, if there's a sick person, you treat them. You just assume they have OHIP and you find out otherwise. This has got to be such a small percent of the people that walk through the doors that won't be reimbursed by the province. And I know Doug Ford's made it even harder for people who don't have OHIP to get care at these hospitals. But, man, this is what happens when you run hospitals uh, like corporations.
1: Yeah. Hospitals, schools. It's the capitalist culture that is so deeply ingrained into every aspect of our society.
0: Yeah, that looks at services as something that should always have to recoup its costs or make a profit when it's just supposed to be a service that's there, guaranteed.
1: I'm, I'm just so angry about this.
0: I think because it also comes on top of all the other layers that you know we are facing international students, right? This isn't the first time you've been upset about... The treatment of international students.
1: No, I was literally writing an editorial on status for all, specifically with a focus on international students. When I heard about this, when I found out about this, it was it, it, like it. And and the past few weeks, like I mentioned, we have had all kinds of coverage and all kinds of attacks against international students. Our international students to blame for the housing crisis. Our international students ruined it, yada yada yada. Right, like. We have seen how they have been the scapegoat of so many issues, of so many crises. Well, they themselves are going through so many crises, and it's not just here. What, Like the housing, the way housing affects international students, I mean, the amount of people who are crammed together into these rooming houses where you have eight people in one bedroom, right? Like the amount of, the way that we send recruiters into their country and get their families to sell their farms to literally bet the farm to be able to send them here for a bullshit education and then we don't give them a proper pathway to status and then we leave them in cycles of oppression and they either leave or stay here and continue to be oppressed or you know what happens when they get back home to India they get oppressed too like what happens to I mean, we we know like uh, so many international students are from Punjab, and we know the exploitation that that uh, people from Punjab and Sikhs they experience from the Modi government constantly. I mean, it wasn't that long ago that the farmer strike was happening.
0: Absolutely, even in response to India canceling issuing visas to Canadians in response to Justin Trudeau's accusations of.
1: I mean, Um, that says it
0: all, right? Like, India literally... We we would never uh, cut off their visas because of how much we rely mm -hmm. on the exploitation of their students and workers.
1: No, and and, and just to point out, like, India allegedly, legally required to say that, I think, but um, allegedly assassinated a Sikh activist in Canada. And we're not giving them a pathway to status here after they're dumping all this money here for bullshit degrees that they've been sold by recruiters.
0: Well, it's certainly another argument for status for all, because if you're going to be here, living here, working here, being a student here, especially with the tuition that these folks pay into our public institutions, well, what should be public institutions, it's unconscionable that they don't have access to the health care that we think is so important to being canadian right that we would bring people over use their labor use their wealth but yet not allow them to get care when needed especially emergency care that is shocking but again doug ford did pass legislation that made it more difficult for doctors to recoup anything from treating people without insurance an attack on migrants essentially
1: absolutely and 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 that's horrible and doug ford is to blame for so much of this but i'm 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 also just pissed at the hospital like what the fuck like someone's bleeding in your er and you're gonna send them home because they don't have 850 when you know they're an international student and they're supposed to have coverage they're supposed to have coverage you know that you know that this is an oversight they it- can't <coughs> They can easily confirm their enrollment. They can easily confirm that they're enrolled. You know that this, that this is some sort of mistake, and you send them away. What the fuck?
0: I wonder if that would have happened to an American showing up who didn't have the money right away. I wonder if, that's, if there's racism involved in the treatment they received at the hospital or the indifference that obviously the administrative staff at Humber College had for making sure that hundreds of thousands or hundreds or thousands of international students had health coverage at the beginning of school. Three weeks during COVID. I mean, surely there was other students that needed care and were probably refused. And you chalk that up to the 11,000 people who died in Ontario waiting for scans and surgeries.
1: Unfucking acceptable. Unfucking acceptable. This is what our society looks like. This is the Canada that people are proud for and march with flags for. And this is what Canada looks like. Fucking disgusting. I got nothing else to say.
0: That is a wrap on another episode of Blueprints of Disruption. Thank you for joining us. Also, a very big thank you to the producer of our show, Santiago Halu Quintero. Blueprints of Disruption is an independent production operated cooperatively. You can follow us on Twitter at BP of Disruption. If you'd like to help us continue disrupting the status quo, please share our content. And if you have the means, consider becoming a patron. Not only does our support come from the progressive community, so does our content. So reach out to us and let us know what or who we should be amplifying. So until next time, keep disrupting.